2: Welcome to the Peter King podcast after kind of an extraordinary week seven of the National Football League and entering uh, what could be a fascinating week uh, in the NFL not only because there's some really interesting matchups in week eight but because the trading deadline I think could be very interesting this year. Um, so let me tell you about my conversations this week I'm Gonna have Joe Buck Uh, the Fox Sports uh, host, uh, play-by-play man in football. Uh, And in the middle of doing the World Series, I caught him uh, before he headed to the ballpark uh, for game six. So, hey, by the time you hear this, who knows? uh, What's going on, the baseball season might be over. But uh, I really enjoy not only the frenetic nature of Joe Buck's life at this time of year, but i think he's got the whole thing in great perspective and we'll go over baseball football everything with joe buck and then i'm going to be joined by jason fitzgerald of overthecap.com so overthecap.com for those who don't get into the cap or don't there's a there's a reason why we got a salary cap guru on this week uh, overthecap has existed for 7 years and is my go-to resource when I have any questions about any NFL contract. But the reason why it's important this week is that if you listen to this on Wednesday, the trading deadline will be six days away, uh, Tuesday, November 3rd. Um, the most important event obviously in the United States of America on Tuesday, November 3rd, I can't think of anything else going on that would trump that. Get it. Um, but, uh, The reason why it's important this year is that the salary cap next year is going to plummet about $23 million per team. And so there are many teams that may want to offload salary this year so that they could add to their cap next year because that's the way the salary cap is going to work. If you dump salary this year, you can – Uh, move your space to the 2021 cap. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but it's going to be a big factor in the trading deadline this year. So Jason Fitzgerald, we will get to him on that. So before we get to Joe Buck, there's one thing that just sort of really has fascinated me this week as we head into the rest of the season. And that is both A, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and uh, the uh, acquisition signing of free agent wide receiver, Antonio Brown, for so many reasons. Many of you, if you read my column this week, Bruce Arians told me essentially that his three wide receivers right now are all playing at less than 90%. They're all playing banged up. Uh, And so Bruce Arians said we made this decision basically because of all our injuries. He insisted to me that Antonio Brown will be on a very short leash. And if he messes up, I mean, I've basically been saying that he's, you know, he's got two strikes on him and he can't even uh, afford a foul ball, you know, anything uh, that he does wrong. Or if the league finds him, uh, you know, culpable, uh in the, uh, in the cases that he has against him right now of women who have accused him um, of harassment and or sexual abuse, I think those are the kind of things that would cause the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to uh, want to get rid of Antonio Brown. But the reason why it is so fascinating this year is that, look, at the beginning of the year, I picked the Bucks to go to the Super Bowl in the NFC. But I think I couldn't have imagined that by midseason they would be quite as explosive as they are right now. That's the thing that, uh, that really, when I look at it, I've been surprised at, especially because of the injuries on offense. I've been surprised at how quickly the Buccaneers have gotten up to full speed. But I really think right now when you look at football as we approach the midpoint of the season, I really think when you look at how the game is played right now, Tampa Bay with speed on defense. I mean, everybody talks about Levante David on defense, but man, uh, you watch Devin White, the 22-year-old linebacker, sideline-to-sideline player for Tampa, three sacks of Derek Carr in Vegas the other day. He is a phenomenal football player. Their pass rush is fast. Their secondary is young and hungry and better than anybody thought it would be. I mean, I look at the NFC right now. I'm not saying that they're heavy favorites, but I'm saying I'm damn glad I picked who I picked to get to the Super Bowl out of the NFC. Um, The one other football note I would say is – I'm so glad the DK Metcalf play is reverberating around the NFL. Isn't it so cool that after a week when so many really interesting things happened in the NFL, so many interesting games and, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo going back to new England and, you know, the 49ers throttling the Patriots and Cam Newton looking ruined. And I mean, look, There's so many things that happen that are worth noting, but I think if you ask the average football fan right now uh, about what they will remember out of week seven, I think they'll say DK Metcalf running the length of the field to catch Buda Baker uh, and tackle him before Buda Baker could score a touchdown, um, you know, eight yards away from the, uh, the, the goal line. And just, I just I'm I'm doing a little bit of research now and I'm going to find some coaches and some other athletes and other sports who have been inspired by that because I've heard some stories early on. and I just think it's very, very cool to see people uh, getting really fired up through the week about uh, a tremendous feat and a feat that uh just shows you that there's something inside of dk metcalf something inside of him when he was young or as he grew you just simply do not give up you never give up and um uh, i just think it's a maybe we shouldn't be overly praising him as much for running 114 yards and catching you know buddha baker from behind i i get that but that was a the kind of play that made me just get out of my chair and just say, wow. Anyway, a very cool moment. Um, So let's get to our guests right now. Um, We're going to hear first from Joe Buck, who, as I say, I caught him in his hotel room in Dallas a few hours before he got to game six of the World Series. And as you, as everybody well knows, Joe Buck for the last two plus weeks has been on a streak of all but one night of doing either a baseball game or a football game nationally televised for Fox. He's obviously been doing a great job. So let's hear from Joe Buck from Dallas, Texas. Uh, Joe, you're getting ready to do game six. It's Tuesday afternoon. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because I'm totally fascinated with, like, the travel aspect, the logistics aspect of what exactly you have done so i'm going to start off and i'm going to ask you yesterday which is monday you had your first day off in a while okay and i wonder you know how many days had it been since you basically and i have no idea what you did but that you weren't assigned to do something that 15 million people in the united states were going to watch
3: yeah uh man it, yesterday was it was a weird day it's like i just somebody pulled the plug out of the wall and i just sat in my room staring at the aforementioned wall uh <laughs> i i it's been crazy it's been a blast though it's been for at that point up until yesterday it had been uh 14 straight days of doing a national broadcast and it started with uh, two Mondays ago, the NLCS. So I went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, baseball, Thursday, football, which I, I think was in Chicago. Then Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Tampa Bay, Monday uh, in Buffalo, Tuesday game, one of the World Series, and so on. So I, I, uh, I've i been in and out of Dallas. I think I can vote here. I've been here long enough. Uh, I, I'm not registered, however, here in uh here in Texas, so I'm uh, I'm just kind of, uh, I'm figuring out that I think I'm schizophrenic because I can have one personality that does all baseball and I can have one personality that does all football and never the two shall meet. So I'm pretty good at uh, compartmentalizing and, and, and handling what's in front of me for that next 24 hours.
2: That was really, uh, that has been really, really interesting to me because um, you don't sound like, and I really watched for how you were going to handle the game in Buffalo, the 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 Chiefs and, uh, or who was it? Yeah, Chiefs and Bills. Yeah, yeah, Chiefs and Bills. And I really wanted to find something. It wasn't like I was testing you or anything, but I really wanted to find something that happened that showed, well, geez, he's exhausted. So, and I didn't. And I didn't find it. I'm sure there has been a day where when the light goes on, you really have to muster up something or you really have to have a five hour energy or something like that. But what do you actually do about fatigue and are you able to sleep as much as you feel you really need to? Well, uh,
3: yeah, I mean, I can let you in on my my own personal secret is I I made a pact with myself that for the last two plus weeks now, going on three weeks, I wasn't going to have a drink, uh, which to me is a big deal. Um, My wife and I, Michelle uh, Beisner, who works at ESPN, we like to, when we put our two and a half year old twins down, we like to share a bottle of wine and watch whatever the hell we're binge watching at the time. And uh, I just thought, you know, for the next Two and a half, this is the first time I've done that. Uh, for the next two and a half weeks, I'm not gonna have alcohol in my life. And that's helped me sleep. I mean, I wear this whoop thing that tracks my, uh, my sleep, tracks my calories, tracks you know the strain, so to speak, on my day. And my REM sleep has been off the charts. So I've actually, I gotta be honest with you, being away from home, and I, I joke about this with Michelle all the time because of the two and a half year old twins, I've had more sleep here than I've had in two and a half years. So I, I've yeah. I've really never uh, gotten up in the morning. And there, there's nothing in the early morning that I have to do except try to force myself to work out uh, that has made me feel tired at the end of the day. So, I mean, part of announcing is acting. Nobody talks like this or... Hey, everybody, welcome to the ball game. And You know, nobody talks like that. Brockmire does. Hank Azaria's character. That's <laughs> about it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you have to act a little bit. But once you get into that mode and you realize that you're doing something that people really care about, uh, it's easy to find that gear. And uh, at the end of the night, I'm done talking. I mean, I'm, I'm two words to my wife and I go to bed or I'll watch something uh, on my my iPad. Uh, before I go to sleep and and I try to i 've been reading a book, try to just distance myself as much as I can so that in the morning i'm i 'm ready and I want to go to work uh, on on that night 's game.
1: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy.
2: so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of
3: a detour. Um, has, the dip,
2: it, has it been difficult at all to do the proper amount of homework, and how exactly do you do that? I assume once you're doing a series in baseball, you do not have to look up, you know, numbers or you don't have to read anything about Azarena or Walker yeah. Bueller. You know those guys. You've been doing this. But it, what sort of homework do you have to do and how do you do that?
3: Well, when I, get, when I do baseball, baseball and football are so different for me. Like when I, when I show up on a Sunday or on a Thursday, my football work is done. I, if, if You know, we show up three and a half, four hours before the game if they kicked it off one minute after I walked in, I'd be ready to go. Baseball, I have the skeleton of what I need. I have the, my scorebook with everything except the most important part, which is the lineup, which I don't know until I get to the stadium. So for baseball, the three hours before first pitch, I'm going and I'm writing down the lineups and I'm looking at different things. And I've, Now I've already done the pitching matchup and I've already put the scorebook and it's ready to go. But there's a lot of work once I get to the stadium. Football, that's why when, when you ask me, and you're right, when you get into a series, you, you kind of just go day to day. And, and I know what's happened at every turn. I don't have to read about it. I don't have to act like I've been there. I've been there. So for football, I spend my days now getting ready for my football games. So when you and I hang up, I'm going to read the clips. Uh, I've got two games this week. I've got Carolina and Atlanta on Thursday. And then the Saints and Bears on Sunday and I'll be up to date. I mean, I, I feel like once I get to the clips and I do my work and I've already got my boards done for those games, uh, I, I can just add on and I don't ever feel like I'm rushed or ill prepared when I walk into that booth and it feels like a normal week to me. And, and that's when I'm at my best, when I can just kind of relax
2: and be myself. Did Fox ever say to you, "Let's sit down and figure out a schedule so that you're not doing a World Series game one night and then Giants and Philly uh, the next night and all that stuff? I mean, was there ever the thought that you should skip something on one of the in one of the two sports?
3: Yeah, well, the only time I skipped was when game seven of the NLCS coincided with uh, uh, Tampa Bay hosting Green Bay. And that was determined two months ago. Um, you know, that that is one of those where I just say to my bosses, Eric Shanks and Brad Zager, you know, what's your pick? And, and I go to wherever they send me. And in this case, it was the football game with Tampa Bay and Green Bay. And You know, the numbers are big. They're big. I I always, when people talk about baseball ratings, the part that's always left out is the cumulative rating of the entire month. I mean, these are, these are massive numbers in today's world. So you could make the case either way, but that's the only time, you know, if there's a conflict I go where they tell me. Typically, football gets the nod. Not it wouldn't in the World Series, but it just so happened that the off day in the World Series was Thursday, so I could go do uh, Eagles and Giants. And uh, if if the day's free, I can get there, and and they trust me to prepare accordingly uh, and be ready. And 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 I feel like I've been able to do that. So it's it's a grind for two and a half weeks, but. It's still not what people in the real world do every day, and and I'm I'm well aware of that. So uh, I had a good teacher in my dad with that, with a work ethic, and and I feel like I've tried to follow through with what he showed me when I was a kid.
2: Your dad, you know, what I really remember about your dad, really, I thought he was unbelievable on the radio, and not just in baseball. You know, I yeah. but but I mean, and I wonder. Uh, Did he ever have a stretch like this? Did he ever have a two-week stretch where he's doing baseball almost every day and then maybe he breaks away and does a Sunday game for CBS somewhere? How
3: how did his schedule work? I just remember when I was a kid, you know, obviously well before cell phones and well before FaceTime, which is your way now to connect, you know, with my two-and-a-half-year-olds, which, by the way, they're punishing me. They're running away every time I FaceTime (laughs) Yeah, because they're mad that I'm gone. But I uh, there were stretches of two weeks where, you know, you barely heard from him. Now, he was my best friend. So I don't I don't have any bitterness toward that. But he was working his tail off and and doing uh, doing Cardinal baseball every day, leaving on Sunday, going to do or Saturday evening and going to do a Sunday TV CBS game and then going to Monday night football for CBS radio with Hank Stram and then coming back to cardinal baseball on a day-to-day basis when the two sports would overlap so uh you know i would say that uh, over the course of a year he worked 10 times harder than than i i work now this is this is maybe higher profile because the day-to-day in my world right now is the nlcs or the world series on national tv and he was doing cardinal baseball and then going away and doing these other things but uh it, there's no comparison I mean he and he was doing morning radio call-in shows in St. Louis during that time so I I have nothing to complain about and the idea that when people ask me all that how are you doing all this I just think of my dad would be over in the corner laughing and heard somebody <laughs> asking me that because he he blew by this
2: uh every year who's the who in baseball like who in the World Series now on the Rays or the Dodgers Who's a really big football fan that when you talk to them, he wants to talk about Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and not uh, how how they're going to hit the curveball tonight?
3: It's funny. You know, I feel like it's it's almost like that age-old actor-athlete thing. I feel like all baseball guys really care about is football, uh, as fans at least. I mean, baseball is so consuming with the day-to-day during a typical year, not in 2020, with uh, 162 that when they're away from the park or when they're even getting ready for a game, they're watching football. I, I just will never forget interviewing Bryce Harper from the outfield while I was in the booth during the All-Star game. And he's asking me about Dak Prescott. This was <laughs> a couple of years ago. And I, I it was so out of he said something to me like, you know, how about Dak in the year he had? And it took me a minute to go, what the hell is he talking? Oh, Dak yeah. Prescott? Like we're <laughs> yeah. so I feel like they're all that way. Kershaw wants to talk about football. Uh Walker Bueller wants to talk about golf. These guys, that's it, you know, but when you know this as well as I do. When you go you're in the football world, at least for us, it's probably different for you. But for forever when we sat down with Bill Belichick, it didn't matter who the matchup was it didn't matter what the stakes were in that game he was as tight-lipped as you could be but the minute i brought up tony la Russa or mlb or the history of the curveball he wouldn't stop talking but yeah. but then you go hey is uh you know so is brady okay yeah we'll we'll, we'll determine that he wouldn't even tell you if brady was playing that week so it's it's funny you know when it's your life you get, you've been there, done it, but they want to know about the outside stuff. So I, I would say, just to throw a blanket over it, I, I don't think I talk to anybody that's not interested in in some little, uh, some little advantage. Let's say for whatever reason, their fantasy football team or their their team pool. To what's going on
2: in the NFL? Do all those guys really have a fantasy team? Like, do all the baseball yeah. players and managers and everything? Do they? Do they play fantasy football? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I can't say
3: all, but I think, you know, I know just from the Cardinals' perspective, Adam Wainwright does it for charity, and they have a league, and they raise money, And but they're into it. I mean, they're competitive. You know these athletes. You know, they're competitive on anything, and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of that I'm better than you mentality that they take onto the field is the same thing they take into fantasy football is the same thing they take on you know, I remember traveling around with the Cardinals, and you'd have a, a everybody put in five bucks, and whose ever bag came off the carousel first would win the pot every time he landed in a city. So it's they can't get enough action, and uh, and fantasy football is a layup for them. They yeah, they they they, they love it.
2: Uh, Joe, I, I'm I'm really I, I, there's so many interesting things about this stretch in your life, but one of them is. And I kind of feel bad about asking you to do this. But one of them is about taking care of your voice when you have to do you have to be on for, say, three and a half to four hours. And these days in baseball, it's probably on the longer end. But do you do anything special at this time of year to take care of your voice?
3: Well, I don't smoke. That helps. I grew up, you know, we keep talking about my dad. But when I started in the broadcast booth and I was 21 with the Cardinals, my dad smoked, Mike Shannon smoked, the uh, radio engineer smoked. Everybody everybody in the booth smoked. And and that's why my dad ended up sounding like this. Here's a ground ball to short, picked up by Ozzie over to first, two out. And, and that was just a part of, of life back then. So I think I've helped myself in that regard um I, i've been lucky i had the one year in 2011 where i had a paralyzed vocal cord and i thought my career was over i got over that and i feel actually peter like the longer i talk the more i talk the more i get swelling with those vocal cords and then they actually touch easier i i know about the apparatus way too much but unless you have some sort of laryngitis going on which i i really try like hell to to just go from my room to the lobby, to the car, to the stadium, and then reverse it. Uh, the more I talk, the more swelling I get in there, the easier it is for me to talk. So I, I knock on wood, I've only one time, I did an NFC championship game in Philly, and I, I woke up on a Sunday morning, I was getting sick, I couldn't make a sound, I had to find a doctor on a Sunday to to give me a steroid injection, and by, miraculously, by Eight o'clock that night, or six o'clock that night, I could speak, and that's the only time I've dealt with that. So I'm um, I'm fortunate along those lines that it's not anything that I really worry about.
2: Do you? What do you drink during the day? Coffee, tea, water? What do you well, do? Coffee is coffee
3: terrible for your voice, but I cannot live without it. So yeah. I, you know, I mean, you're watching me drink uh, Starbucks, and only in Dallas. I mean, we don't have this in St. Louis. There's like a Starbucks Reserve oh, a yeah, bar yeah. that. Yeah. We don't have that in uh we don't have these high highfalutin things <laughs> in St. Louis. But I uh yeah, I, I drink coffee all day and then during the game I have this thing, which is it's called a Contigo, which keeps uh everything hot in it. It's like a Yeti. Uh yeah. and I, I drink tea or I'll just drink water, room temperature water, but my bladder, uh, which is on record as being one of the smallest uh, in the history of broadcasting, is uh, is an issue. So if I'm just pounding water all game, I'm constantly running back and forth and trying to beat the commercial back before yeah. uh, before I sit down. And and you know, I, I, I there have been many times where I have left the booth to go to the bathroom and waited for the stage manager to count backward from five. Wow. Wait till he gets till three, just to see how much Smoltz and Aikman freak out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> knowing that If I'm not sitting there, they have to bring it back from commercial break. But I've made it about 99% of the time.
2: <laughs> um, i got to ask you two baseball questions. One, I'm kind of fascinated by Kevin Cash. And I'm a big baseball fan. And he does things like bring his closer in in the fifth inning because he figures that that is the most important, you know, there's a good chance that that's going to be the most important two outs he needs to get. If he's got second and third, and the closer has got the best chance to get out without either of those guys scoring, great. We're going to do it. What do you think of the way he manage- manages and he's kind of setting baseball on its ear?
3: I love it. I First of all, he's great. He's funny. Uh, he's got a lot of energy. You'd love him if you haven't met him. You probably have. But he... He's great, and and I think that's kind of the wave of the future. I mean, I think yeah. if you step back and you realize this is the twenty eighth, twenty ninth payroll in Major League Baseball, this is how they have to do it, and they make yeah. no bones about it. They they don't hide that. It's back. a great they,
2: accomplishment, a it great really is. accomplishment. I mean,
3: they won. They beat the Yankees by seven huh. games in the AL East. And you consider the expenditure the Yankees make every year, and how these guys have built up their team with a different formula. Uh, their starting pitching's good. They be, it's one thing to divest yourself of all these high price or soon to be high price players and then go get prospects, but you better hit on those prospects. And they traded Chris Archer, uh, to the Pirates and who'd they get back? Tyler Glasnow and Austin Meadows. Um, yeah. you know, and there are examples of that throughout their entire roster. So I like Is that is that
2: pitcher they traded to the Cardinals? Going to be good, you know, in the Azarena trade? <laughs> he better be. He I, better I was, be, yeah. I was texting with somebody
3: even earlier, before the World Series, the guy, Azarena's got nine home runs in the he set a record. And this, he was like a throw-in. The, the main guy they wanted was Jose Martinez, who's like a DH type, not really yeah. a good defender, pretty good hitter. And uh, they trade their top left-handed prospect and one of the top prospects in baseball to get him. And somebody in the Cardinal organization texted me back said, this guy better be Randy Johnson because, yeah. you know, I mean, the Cardinal outfield
2: is not good at all. And the Cardinals uh, knew that Azaren is going to be real good? Or did they know?
3: Uh, no, there's no way. There's no way yeah. you would give. And let me tell you, you deal with scouts. I deal with scouts. Uh, I've been surrounded by, by scouts my whole life. This, to me, reeks of analytics because any scout, or my eyes, or your eyes, or my wife's eyes, or my daughter's eyes, whoever's eyes, would watch a Rosarena take batting practice and then watch everybody else in his group at the big league level and go, that guy has faster hands and the ball explodes off that guy's bat. If you, you, if they were all unnamed players, you go, that's the guy I want. and And to give up on that guy or trade him in a deal and then say, oh, well, we knew it. This has got to be, there's got to be some analytical reason that they said of all these outfielders that the Cardinals have, and they have, they have like nine of the same kind of outfielder, that we're going to trade, this is the guy we're going to get rid of. They don't have anybody like that on their team. So I, it's a huge mistake. It's a big whiff. You, you, they, they lost an everyday player that, that's electrifying. And uh, I said on the air the other night, He's the guy now that when you know he's coming up in the half inning, you don't get up and go, right. you know, go to the bathroom or go get something to drink. You wait until after he hits to see what he does. And and the, there are very few people that are like that. It trout's like that. There are very few people like that in baseball.
2: The other thing I was going to ask you about is I'm fascinated by Walker Buehler. If, if, if I could have one pitcher in baseball right now, I might take him over to Grom. I don't know why. I just... I really have faith in him. He seems almost like a Hershiser type, you know, yep. a, metro, a metronome. He just goes and goes. And I know he's got this blister thing, but what's Bueller like? And is he going to be the next – is he going to take the mantle from Kershaw who took it from the long history, Fernando or Koufax yep. or Drysdale? Is he, is he that good, Joe?
3: Yeah, I you know he's a little bodied guy. He jokes about it. He did with us. He's he's listed at 185. He said I've probably put on 10 pounds. So he said I'm probably 195, but it takes him a while to get going because everything he has, every ounce he has to his body mass is behind every pitch. And yeah. and he said I it took me a while at the start of the year. Then he had the blister, then he's coming back, then he's got the blister again. And now This is the best he's felt and the best he's looked all year, which is bad news for Tampa Bay, because if this goes seven, they have to face him again. But I to answer your question, you would love him. Uh, Is he the next guy? Yes, he's the guy now. And I think Kershaw would even probably tell you that. Uh, But he went to Vanderbilt, which is a great baseball program. And they did things there. They, They had a game called skins where their coach would put the pitching staff in high leverage, tough situations, and they would make the pitcher figure out a way to get out of it. And I can't think of a better learning tool for young pitchers than second and third, nobody out. You're leading by a run. How are you going to keep the lead or How are you going to keep it tied? And we saw that in the NLCS. He had bases loaded, game six, nobody out. His team's facing elimination, and he looked like the same guy that started the game, and he went strike out strike out ground out and didn't give up a run and i i think he's he is everything you want in a tough guy that is not scared of anything he knows he's better than every hitter that steps to the plate and uh yeah i have gotten to know him a little bit through zooms and and through meetings
2: in the past uh i i think he's fantastic yeah he's just fun i, I don't know you know baseball i do not decry the way baseball is being played now I, because, I mean, I forget, there's a bunch of people out there who write how horrible baseball is because there's so many strikeouts. And I get that, but I don't, honestly, what do I care for guys? Strikes out or grounds out to short? It's an out. I I don't, I don't, I don't think it's ruining the game at all. I think it's fascinating. I think all these pitches that they throw, I think the fact that so many guys now is a matter of, if just uh, you know regular is a matter of regularity or throwing 95 98 that's it used to be just be a roll this Chapman and then whoever but yeah. I don't i don't know what do you what do you think of the game right now
3: well I, I love power uh, i don't know anybody who doesn't I don't know anybody who doesn't like seeing a 101 on a radar gun and and pitchers that make it look easy and a home run that hit, you know hits into the upper deck i mean people that that's all good for the game. Um, that's how these guys are trained now. They're trained as power pitchers. And, you know, the the, the bottom line is these guys are coming in. And, and like you said, I've never seen – it used to be, oh, my God, that guy throws 95. Now if you throw 95, you're average. And, and it, the game has just evolved. So I, I'm not the guy either. I'm not the get-off-my-lawn guy. I do miss some of the strategy. I. I do miss seeing guys with the ability to put the bat on the ball and hit it where they want to hit it. And, and that's a lost art. Bunting's a lost art. We had a safety squeeze the other night in the world series, which was like mind blowing that it actually worked and it was done to perfection. Uh, But the game is what it is. And uh, I, I, I enjoy every night sitting there and if a guy strikes out, I'm with you. If he pops up, if he grounds out, what's the difference? But if he puts the ball in play, the entire infield is swung around to one side and there's a guy at second base and you can just put the bat on the ball and get him over to third and make the RBI chance easier for the next guy who pops out to, out, to the outfield, then I think there's a little bit of strategy that's involved there. So I, I think there's a balance between the two, but I will always defer to power. Give me power any day over finesse, uh, really, in any sport. That, that's what I prefer
2: to watch. You know, there've been some really, really fun moments this month in in the playoffs. You know, the Brasso uh, home run off a of rolled Chapman. You know, Brett Phillips the other night. Uh, you know, the last guy on the bench. There's just something about the weirdness of baseball that happens a little bit more than in than in football. But there's also a lot of weirdness in football that happens and fun things like what's the one play in football this year right now that everybody would say, hey, what's been the best play of the first seven weeks of the season? I bet the vast majority of people, if you wrote down 10 plays, they would say DK Metcalf catching Buda Baker by running 114 yards and running 23 miles an hour or whatever it was. And that is just that's not a touchdown pass. That's not that didn't even result in any points. But it's right. just it's just I just been really I, I think in the month of October, there's really been some tremendously fun sports events and go back to the end of the basketball playoffs, which were really, really fun. I can't quite figure out, Joe, why there people are not watching the way that they used to, not just necessarily because there's the occasional game everywhere that'll get a huge number. But I thought this Marist poll was amazing, where 46% of Americans say they're watching less sports during the pandemic, watching less sports on TV. I thought it would be 46% would say, or or they would say, I'm watching 46% more sports or something like that. How do you view that?
3: Yeah, I think there are a lot of factors. I, I think we all realize during the pandemic, even people that cover sports or broadcast sports, that uh, that life, while I'm I'm obsessed, and sometimes it takes over my life, like it certainly does in October, that there is a big life outside of the day-to-day of sports. Yeah. And once you realize you can live without something, it, maybe it's harder to get back into it to the level of the degree that you did before uh, you found that out. I, I also think that 2020, with everything that's going on uh, politically, with everything that's going on, uh, you know, in this election cycle, uh, the way society just seems to be so polarized, and it's you know, you're in this camp or you're in that camp, and and now it just becomes a daily fight on on news channels. It's hard to turn your eyes away from the fight, too. I don't you. You could probably look at that same poll and look at the amount of news that's being consumed or political talk shows that are being consumed. And I'm sure those numbers are way, way up. So I I I would say this, that the jewel events will always have that special feel. And and I, you know, maybe. Maybe twenty twenty is an outlier, but I think as we go forward, you give somebody a compelling seven game World Series or a great football matchup or a great NBA final or a great Stanley Cup final, people are gonna find their way to it. Um and 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 I, I will always bet on that until I see differently. And and I, I look at this World Series, you're right. There's nothing like baseball. When it comes down to Brett Phillips, who nobody's ever heard of, <laughs> winning a game against Kenley Jansen on the craziest. Of playing and his teammates and man, I mean, there's just nothing like it. And and so there's always going to be room for that. And, and I'm honored to get a chance to sit there and try and scream and yell and put my voice to it.
2: Um, I'll end with this. The, uh, I wonder when you wake up in the morning and, you know, because you've had to do this a lot now and you wake up in the morning and you either are going to do a football game or a baseball game that day, when you wake up in the morning, are you a little bit slightly more excited to do baseball or football?
3: I, I contend this. If if I wake up, you and I are talking on Tuesday. If I if you're asking me this tomorrow, when I wake up for a game seven, there's nothing like it, and uh, I I think that trumps everything. Right, it trumps the Super Bowl. Uh, it's bigger than uh, Stanley Cup Final. If you have a rooting interest, and I'm a huge Blues fan, and I saw this two Stanley Cup Finals ago, that I mean that's there's nothing like that because it's end to end action and you go from offense to defense in a blink and you're think you're going to score. And then you're holding your breath, hoping that the other team doesn't score, but game seven, there's nothing like it. Uh, but waking up knowing that you're about to do Tampa Bay, green Bay or waking yeah. up knowing you're about to do that's big. And, you know, if, if there is appointment television anymore, it still is the NFL. Um or it's a game seven and uh, and to me, being able to navigate the highs and lows of a game seven and somebody standing on the mound with a ball, somebody standing at the plate with a bat. And in other years, a process that started in mid-February and ends at the end of October and it comes down to one pitch, which I, you know, we've been lucky enough to have a few times at Fox since we started this in '96. There is nothing like that drama. And the beauty of it is, for me, I don't have to say anything. I, I can just set it up and watch with everybody else and cap it when it ends. And there's just uh, – game seven is, is the best thing in sports.
2: Uh, I can't – there's something about, you know, sort of what you do in the games that you do that seem to be so much fun, especially like – As I look at it, you know, I was kind of following what you were doing and seeing Brady and Rodgers. I just thought to myself, as much of a pain in the rear end as this must be to do a mega game the previous night and then wake up the next morning knowing that you're going to do quite possibly the last game that, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady will ever play against each other that is cool and that's why yeah. that's why kind of the life of Joe Buck is a pretty good life
3: it is <laughs> and, I, and and I I think back to my dad's career uh I guess to put a button on it because we've talked a lot about him you know he had a, a two-year crack at at uh the World Series on CBS it was it was not a fun experience for him. It was not a fun experience for my family going through that. He was in his mid-60s, and it was it was just a different time for somebody who had really made his name in radio and uh, to. But but to know what the stakes are when you do a game on national TV and you're doing live play-by-play, play, and now to go, you know, whatever it's been, 30 years since then forward in 2020. Uh, it is a high wire act at times and you know, you, you got to make sure you get it right, or you're going to live in infamy on the internet for blowing some big call or blowing some big moment. And uh, that's also what makes it fun. You know, yeah. you realize that, that uh, you got your heart, in your throat for a reason, A, because the game's insanely fun and B, cause you don't want to mess it up. And, uh, and, and that's, that's what it's been for the last two and a half weeks. And, uh, you know, let's let's end with this. You can do a, a June baseball game and you can make a mistake. That's one thing. You do a December, January football game and you make a big mistake. That's another. And uh, and it's that it's that high wire act that I that I love and I live on that high wire and I wouldn't want to do anything else
2: it's so interesting you say that because I I had a long debriefing with Jason Witten after his one year on Monday Night Football that is the thing that shocked him absolutely shocked him that he can make a mistake in a game and it will reverberate 10 times longer and louder than even if he dropped a touchdown pass in a big game it, and that was so incredibly interesting to him and, you know, to hear him talk about that and me, you know. It's funny, you know, we talk about it all the
3: time because Troy and I will sit there before a, before a game and we'll watch the studio shows and we jump around with a clicker and, and it's like if I said that, what that guy just said right now in the middle of the football game, I would never live that down. But, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's for some reason, it's if it's inside from kickoff to the final seconds, if it's in that window and you say something that is controversial or has a real strong opinion or make a mistake or whatever it is, it, it's it. It does ring louder and longer than yeah. than anything that happens around that time. So it's it's a weird time to do play by play, and and a lot a hell of a lot different than when my dad was just kind of saying whatever crossed his mind. I
2: mean,
3: <laughs> some of that stuff I, it makes me sweat thinking thinking about some of the stuff that came out of his mouth in a, in a purely harmless, fun way. But you have to think of so many different factions. Uh, and and sides of every argument before anything comes out of your mouth, it's it's really hard to have any personality when you do the yeah. game because
2: there's, there's really it, – it, the world doesn't really allow it. Joe Buck, voice of MLB on Fox Sports, obviously voice of the NFL. Really, really appreciate you taking time in your busy season.
3: Of course, man. You're the best. I appreciate it, Peter.
2: And now my conversation with Jason Fitzgerald. About the vagaries of the salary cap, he runs a site called OverTheCap.com, which is my go-to salary cap site, and why this year it's so important. For those who don't know OverTheCap, it's really, really a cool site. Um, I'm not a really big fan of chasing salaries and calling agents and finding those things out in my younger days I was, but falls into the category of I'm really glad that Over the Cap exists so that uh, I don't have to be consumed with doing things that, uh, you know, really kind of the local beat people are doing mostly. And and Jason Fitzgerald just does such a great job with Over the Cap. So the reason why I wanted to have Jason on this week is that I want to basically discuss a different sort of trading deadline this year. And I want to discuss why it's different, and not only why it's different, but looking at the salary cap in 2021, which means that there's a different factor this year that could make teams want to make more deals so I'm gonna introduce Jason I'm gonna I'm gonna start by basically asking uh asking you Jason why if maybe you agree maybe you disagree but why is this year's trading deadline which is next when uh, next Tuesday November 3rd why is this trading deadline different this year than normal
0: yeah no I, I would agree with you on that uh, basically next year the South Salary cap is expected to fall significantly. This will be the first time that the cap has fallen since 2011. And it's a much more significant drop, uh, you know, $20 million or so from where it is now. So teams are going to look to shed salary this year if they've fallen out of contention, um, just so they can carry it over to next year to be a little bit more cap compliant or have a better chance to add players next year when maybe they'll be more competitive.
2: Can you explain exactly how that works?
0: Well, okay, so... In terms of the trade itself, if you trade a player away, uh, the team that takes on the player is responsible for the remaining salary on all the contract. So basically, you will cut out the player's salary for this year, whatever the remaining amount is. Say, you know, if he's got five million dollars left, that five million will go to another team. Um, that five million dollars that you create in cap space, you're allowed to carry that over to next year. Um, The league allows you to take any unused cap space and add it to your salary cap total for next year. So if you can carry over an extra five million instead of having one seventy five million dollar cap threshold, your team will have a one hundred eighty million dollar cap threshold. And so the more and more that you can build that up, the better chance that you have next year of signing players in free agency or um, signing a couple of core players that you do have to uh, extensions.
2: You know, I use the example of Yannick Ngakwe in my column this week. He's got $5.2 million that the Baltimore Ravens are now going to pay um, that they take on their 2020 cap. But the Minnesota Vikings, conversely, get to subtract that. So now, and again, we're estimating that the cap next year will be 175 So theoretically, the Vikings – you know, in with one trade gain $5 million more to spend on their cap in 2021. Is that pretty much how it works?
0: Yep, that's exactly how it works. And that was probably a big reason why they made that trade, as well as, you know, getting some compensation back because the trade itself, you know, ended up being a mistake for them. But yeah, I, I would say that was a big part of it.
2: So. As you look at it, there are some other players that I think would be smart, you know, for teams to deal. Like, I think Tack McKinley, the pass rusher for uh, uh, Atlanta, and also Ryan Kerrigan for Washington. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, both are in their last years. And so there's no real huge consequence for the trading team, you know, other than they're going to save – 10 17ths of their salary if they trade them this week but when you look at it is it more a part of the landscape this year what will happen cap wise than it is in a normal year
0: oh yeah definitely um you know there, there's a lot of teams that have to scramble next year with the salary cap I think right now we project uh, 12 teams are going to be over the salary cap next year usually at this point point in time maybe there's two in a normal year uh that would be actually projecting over the cap so uh, these teams have to take that into consideration they have to take into account what that's going to change with their carryover for next year if they're going to bring somebody in as well as what the contract status is of that player the following year um you know you might be adding a lot of salary the next year too uh, the players that you mentioned you're it wouldn't. Be. Those are both free agents, uh, as you said. Um, but with other players, you might be adding a lot of salary. You might be adding a contract headache if a player wants a new deal as well. Um, so there's a lot of factors, I think, that kind of come into play that might not be there in a normal season.
2: I look at – when I looked at your site before we uh, began to record this, the one thing that really stuck out is the two teams that are really behind the eight ball right now. Uh, Philadelphia and New Orleans, uh, who are both projected to be over $60 million over the cap uh, in 2021 if the cap is about $175. I think you have it at $176. What are the alternatives for these teams knowing that they're going to have to cut massively before they start spending on anybody next year?
0: Well, they're going to have to get creative. Um, Philadelphia is in a much better position than New Orleans. Uh, even though the numbers are pretty close, they have a lot more flexibility with their roster. Uh, I'm sure they're disappointed in the play Carson Wentz because a big part of it is really kicking the can on that contract as well. Uh, but the Eagles are very proactive. We saw them restructure Fletcher Cox's contract just a couple of weeks ago just for the purpose of creating more carryover room. And they'll restructure him again next year. Or they'll extend him and bring those numbers down. The Saints are in a little bit of a different spot you know drew Brees has a massive salary cap hit whether he's on the team or not and he may retire um so they have a lot of different levers that they're going to have to try to pull to get creative there um to be able to comply uh they may even have to do stuff with drew Brees' deal if he retires um as a way to kind of manipulate the numbers to keep them low until they can move him after june 1st for example um they're they're going to be a, a, in a tough way. They they don't have the same type of uh, flexibility, in my opinion, at least, that Philadelphia does.
2: It's almost essential. Let's talk about Breeze just for a second, because next year his base salary, I think, is $25 million. Um, but he's got a bunch of bonus, bonus money also that's due. Um, how will his contract work if he just retires at the end of the year? And how much money will hit their cap and how will they handle that, do you think?
0: So if he retires um, next season, uh, he'll have a $22.6 million cap charge um, for all the prorated bonus money um, that's there. Obviously, that's better than the $36 million cap charge that he's at right now. Um, in my opinion, what you would do is if he was going to retire, um, no matter what, you're going to have to pay this $22 million. Uh, you might be able to come up up with a way to kind of reduce that number effectively to about 12 or 13 million. Um, What you would do in that case is basically bring his base salary down just from 25 to a million dollars, you know, he's going to retire. So it's just the same thing that you would do if you sign someone to a retirement contract Uh, that would allow you to carry him during free agency at, you know, 12.15 million, 12.2 million, um, then on June 2nd, you have to process him as a June 1st cut, and that'll let you keep his cap charge next year at 11.15, and then you'll defer uh, the 11, uh, other 11.5 million to 2022. So the, those are the kind of creative concepts I think they have to work with with someone like Breeze. Um, if he's not going to come back, they just have to do it in a way that they can manipulate the accounting on that contract to work best for them. If he's going to come back, You know, they'll do something like that anyway, and then they'll, you know, prorate a bunch of money and just be a lot of dead money in 2022 when I'm sure he would retire probably at that point.
2: For those who don't know, Jason, can you brief people about why the salary cap is going down, let's say $23 million next year and why it may stay down? And what do you project the cap to be? in the next two or three years?
0: Sure. So the the salary cap is based basically on all revenues that the league brings in. And you're bringing in revenues from the big, massive national television contracts. Uh, you're bringing in local revenue and you're bringing in stuff from like NFL Network and a couple other streams. Uh, local revenue is pretty close to 50% of everything, which surprised me, but that's what the number is like. So when you don't have tickets being sold and you have nothing that's going on on game day anymore, um, you're looking at losses that could be you know, $100 million per team. Um, you know, it, It's a lot. So when you factor in all those numbers, um, it drives the cap down a lot. So I had spoken with a number of uh, salary cap managers for football teams just to kind of get a consensus for next year. And the league and the players' association agreed that the cap would not fall any lower than 175. And all but two people that I spoke with uh, said that it would be 175 million next year. One was just a tiny little bit higher. Um, one was a little bit more than that. Everybody was lower than this year. Um, so that, that's where we came up with the estimate of 176 million. We just put it at a million bumped up by one. If it's going to fall much lower, and I had a couple people tell me they thought that. It would basically be about 130 million if this plan wasn't in place. Wow. Uh, this agreement between the the PA and um, the league uh, basically that will get tacked onto the 2022 and 2023 salary caps. So you could see those caps as well fall by, you know, maybe 20 million dollars. Uh, they haven't really specified the way that that would that would work, um, but you know, those caps might even fall as well. So where the cap is going to be moving forward, we're really not going to get a good estimate on that probably until after this season. You know, you've also got the other factors too, television contracts coming due, which could cause a, a big spike to where you wouldn't even notice that they were pulling $20 million off because the spike itself from the television contracts could be like a $30 million spike. Um, but if things do go back to somewhat normal, um, you would guess that in 2021 uh 2022 the cap would probably be back to something like 200 million 210 maybe somewhere in that ballpark uh then maybe 220 225 after that and then you should see it really spike up uh because television money come due and all the other stuff should be gone from the pandemic. uh, hopefully at least.
2: there's going to be some bitter contract uh uh, cuts in 2021 there's going to be players who have been waiting to be free agents, who are really going to be upset, you know, at this time and say three or four months. Uh, I mean, I think it's going to be a totally fascinating way to see how smart cap managers and smart general managers really run their team. And one team that occurs to me it's the Patriots that have so much that they need to do, and so many. Good valuable players who've opted out who are coming back, like for instance, Dante Hightower. You think that he's coming back, of course, you think that they would want him. But wow, I I mean, do you think it's going to be Armageddon for a few teams?
0: It could be. Uh, I I think you could see a lot of those players towards the end of a contract that are veterans or players that are in that mid tier, you know, that five to eight, five to nine million dollar salary range. That are basically given ultimatums, like play on the minimum next year, pretty close to it, or we're going to release you. And there's not going to be much in free agency. Everything is going to be one-year deals. You're probably going to have, you know, a lot of reshuffling. You know, you might see a lot of players making five right now. They won't take the pay cut from the team they're on, but they'll still end up pay, playing for one or two million with another team. And you know, you, you might see a, a lot of movement next year um, if teams really, really cut back on it. Um, you know, if they don't want to get creative with the numbers or if owners tell them that your budget, are just slashed tremendously, you know, and that, that's yeah. the other thing, you know, you, you can always manipulate salary cap numbers. You can't manipulate if your owner tells you your budget's only 175 next year. Um,
2: right, right, that, that's right. a whole
0: different ball game and, you know, that can really change things.
2: Yeah. Jason, Jason Fitzgerald over the com. really appreciate you educating me and my listeners uh on uh, all things cap as we go into a, i think a really interesting trading deadline season there are 12 trades within two weeks of the deadline last year there have been four so far this year i would be very surprised if we don't get to double digits but i appreciate you setting us straight on this jason thank
0: yep, you i think we will
2: my thanks to joe buck and jason fitzgerald of over the cap Uh, for imparting so much knowledge in a very busy week in sports and in football. Before I go, I just wanted to remind you, my friend Rodney Harrison um, has a new show on Peacock. Peacock now has got an all football block, an all sports block, but mostly football from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. every weekday. Um, you start with Mike Florio and Chris Sims most days uh, doing the, uh, his pro football talk show from 7 to 9. I'm on with him on Friday. You go through the length of the day, and his last show, the last show on Peacock of the Day, Safety Blitz now on Mondays uh, with Rodney Harrison and Jack Collinsworth dissecting everything that you just saw on Sunday during the NFL games. So give that show a shot. Give Peacock a shot. There's a lot of good programming right now on Peacock and you're gonna love it all. Until next week, thanks a lot for listening this week. Hope you enjoyed it and enjoy the football in week eight.